0: Welcome to episode two of Positively Geared. My name is Alex Augustiniak, and today we'll be discussing a very important topic, knowing your why. Knowing your why dictates the strategy which Lloyd will implement to ensure you reach your goal of financial freedom. Welcome, Lloyd. Hi, Alex. How are you going? Very good. Episode two.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it.
0: Today, we're talking about knowing your why, um, which I think is probably the the fundamental pillar, if you like, for, for people that are looking to start a, a property portfolio.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So really, you can't just go out there and just buy a property and then wonder what it's going to do for you. So I always uh, you know, get people thinking about why they're going to do it. Uh, what are they trying to achieve? And how's this property going to help them? Do they want to build a portfolio of properties? And why would they want to build a portfolio of properties? Uh, And then whether they should be investing in, and we'll get to talk about the strategy, but whether they should be investing in a capital city or or a regional area, whether they should be doing cash flow or growth or manufacturing equity and and all that kind of stuff. But it's got to start from why you actually want to do it.
0: Absolutely. And I think I reflect upon you know my personal life and, and I think you're probably similar and, and everybody's very similar in the sense that I think we all know somebody that's bought that investment that didn't ever quite uh, achieve the, the growth or yield that they wanted. And, and that's usually greeted with a lot of regret or resentment later in life. So I think knowing your why and, and you know having a strategy is absolutely fundamental to getting this right.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing how often you go to a Sunday afternoon family barbecue and everybody's got an opinion on property. Yeah, uh, It's one of those things that uh, I think... You know, not everybody has an opinion on everything. You know, you can be a doctor or you can be a scientist and, you know, people don't know about that subject unless they're qualified. But in property, everybody's got an opinion on Everyone's that. Everyone's an expert. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and then, you know, it's like there's always someone who's telling a story about, yes, my, my brother-in-law bought a property and it didn't go so well and, um, you know, it was in Broken Hill and whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, there's all these stories and that makes sort of people nervous uh, whether they should be doing it. and uh, And even when it comes down to, you know, yeah, the other question is when is the right time to buy? When is the right time to buy is not necessarily you know trying to time the market and thinking oh well is it too late to buy now or whether we should be you know, buying when the market cools or uh, you know that's one way of looking at it. But it's also about you know there's always a good opportunity to buy and you just need to have a strategy in place. You know what I should be buying, where I should be buying, uh, and that kind of mitigates against a lot of those little you know nervous. Um, yeah issues you might have about buying property if you actually have a um, have a real understanding of what you're trying to achieve out of it
0: absolutely and I think a a good analogy is possibly that you know in life or in business um, particularly in property investment um whatever the the person wants to achieve it's really just a strategy is a, a bridge or a system if you like um towards where they are today and and to get to where they want to be um and and the beauty of a strategy is that it's obviously it's immune to market conditions, it's it's you know it doesn't matter what the weather's doing that particular day um or who's in government, it's basically about having a plan in place which will allow you to get from A to b uh, and and that's what we're effectively going to cover off on today in our conversation.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and uh, we've got to remember that property is a vehicle. So property is not something you should get too emotional about, just like whether you're you know, buying stocks, you know, whether you're in the share market or whether you're buying gold or whatever you want to be doing. Property is a vehicle to create wealth. Uh, and uh, it's, it's about how to use that vehicle effectively to get from A to B, uh, you know, to create a roadmap for your vehicle to get you know, to each of those destinations. Um, the first step is obviously know your why. So, uh, you know, when I first talk to people, I really ask them what, They want to achieve. You know, where where do you really want to be in 10, 15 years' time? Uh, A lot of people say, "Oh, I want to retire tomorrow," or "I want to retire in five years' time." Uh, But quite often, uh, you know, people want to retire. They think they want to retire because the grass is always greener on the other side. But effectively. Uh, that doesn't really make people happy because people might think they can go and retire, just sit on a beach for the rest of their lives, but then they'll get really bored. Um, I know with me, I'll, I'll keep working until I'm 100 if I can yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm, I love doing what I'm doing. So, so I think for people, it's really about creating choice uh, and putting themselves in a good position. Uh, so... Uh, why they 're doing something should be about what their their long term goals are now that could be financial freedom because they, they do actually want to retire uh, genuinely in ten years time, or maybe they want to uh, you know, have one partner uh, stay at home so they can go down to one income, uh, one partner to look after the kids. Uh, they might want to be able to afford to put the kids through private schools, which are really expensive, or they might want to go on overseas holidays without having to worry about where the money' is coming from. yeah another goal might be oh I just want to wo- work. You know, four days a week instead of five. I've actually got a client who's uh, just achieved that recently. Actually, we uh, bought about three or four properties for him and he's in a position now where he's actually working four days a week and he actually goes to the pub on Fridays and he says, you know, I don't work Fridays. So he just goes and tells all his mates, says, you know, I don't work Fridays. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing to be doing as well. It's a big win for him. It is a big win for him, but you know you need to have that uh, have that goal in place. Know why you're doing something, and it means different things for different people. You know, having a dream house, you know, on the beach, or or having a house by the park, or just having a, you know, nice security for your family. Whether that's yeah, you know, it could be you know only a townhouse near the city, whatever. Uh, you know, all those things mean different things for different people. But you know, it's really important to actually know why you're doing something, and from there we can then formulate a strategy on how to actually get there.
0: Absolutely, and I think knowing your why. Uh, and, and building that strategy, uh, if it's fair to say, Lloyd, needs to be greeted with a certain degree of realism. So, for example, you know, for somebody that might approach you in public or a client that, you know, wants to do business with you, if they're to say to you, Look, Lloyd, you know, I want to be retired in twelve months, you've probably got to have a conversation with them around, okay, well, is this goal achievable or not? Is it realistic or not?
1: That's very true. And I do get people like that. I do get people who say they want to retire in two years or they want to retire in five years. Uh and they but they ha- they're starting from yeah, you know, they've got nothing at the moment. You know, they they're on a in you know, a job they're not happy with, they've got no assets. Uh, you know, realistically, yeah, you know, some people can, you know, retire in maybe, you know, five to seven years Uh, if they've already got a few assets they've got some good cash put away then we can formulate a strategy there but if you're sort of starting from from nowhere uh, when I say nowhere I mean like you're sort of starting from the fact that you actually haven't got any investments you want to try to build up to that it's going to take you a little bit longer it's one of the things I do cover in the book Positively geared uh, which is effectively how to start a portfolio from 40k from forty thousand dollars which is essentially a deposit on a property and then how to recycle that deposit to build up a portfolio uh, it is it is possible to be able to achieve yeah, you know, financial freedom in in a 10 12 year period but you need to have that uh, that strategy in place and and actually know what you're doing uh, and that's where I started from I you know I had a 30k deposit and, and built up from there uh, but yeah you really do need to uh, have an understanding of what you're trying to do and and also realize that it does take time um that you're you know you're looking at this this the short-term pain for long-term gain uh you know you need to delay all your gratification you know don't don't worry about driving the the lamborghini just now that can come later (laughs) uh you want to you want to just be realistic about things now and work towards those goals
0: so for people that are listening right now that are you know very intrigued as to okay well what does that strategy look like um and and possibly their first reaction will be okay well lloyd you know i don't have 10 years to throw at building a property portfolio or i don't have five years to wait for this investment to mature what advice would you give to them just to i guess keep them grounded but also give them confidence that this stuff works uh and that it doesn't require 20 years to see the the tangible rewards
1: well that's right and look i actually have clients in their, their late 50s who have actually come to me and they said, I, I want to be retired in five years, but I've got a lot of debt. And how can I get out of that debt and actually have some positive investments? So that comes down to strategy. In, you know, in the particular case I'm referring to, that involved actually building some duplexes, creating some equity, uh, selling the properties for some profit, uh, having good cash flow on the others. So having positive uh, income Positive cash flow properties that also have that equity there is a really good way of getting ahead quicker, uh, and that's certainly possible for for people who you know don't have such a long time frame ahead of them. Uh, but you know, if you if you feel you don't have a long time to do something, then uh, you need to be realistic about what it is you're trying to achieve. So, coming and saying you want to have a three hundred thousand dollar passive income uh, within the next five years, when you're currently working for an employer and you're only on fifty k, then uh, you know, there's no magic bullet there. So it's not as if you can suddenly do that. Um, otherwise, if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. You know, so it's one of those things. There'll be
0: multimillionaires with lots of properties. <laughs> that's right.
1: So, you know, so there are strategies around there, but you need to be realistic about that. Uh, so, and it, it, strategy does come down to to age as well, because if you're if you're in your twenties, then you actually effectively do have quite a bit of working life. And assuming not everyone in their twenties wants to retire, you could have twenty years to build up a good portfolio, which would be a mixture of lots of different types of properties, from from blue chip properties to uh, to cash flow properties to properties where you can manufacture growth. Uh, if you're starting your portfolio uh, a little bit later in life, then would be focusing more on properties where you can get actually get your gains faster your equity gains faster which would be ones where you can manufacture growth Uh, and that can be through land subdivisions through developing properties through uh, cosmetic renovations even structural renovations if you've got the appetite for that so there's there's certainly options there but the thing about any of those strategies is that you're actually adding value yourself to the property rather than waiting for the market to grow and if you can add value to the property yourself then, uh, then you're, you know, you're not going to be sitting there for ages wondering whether it's going to grow in value. You're actually forcing that value, and that allows you to leverage yourself into another property and, and so on, and, and get to your goals a little bit quicker.
0: Yeah. So from there, basically, once you um, define define the different factors, for example, you know, as you mentioned in terms of manufacturing growth, um, uh, improving cash flow, you know, renovating, improving all those things, it starts to snowball. Um, I think one of the key um, the factors in ensuring that any any person's strategy is successful. And I know that you do a lot of work with your clients on this. It's mitigating risk. So tell us about some of your past experiences where things haven't gone quite to plan. Um, and I guess if you're if you're sitting in front of a client today, what sort of strategies do you put in place to ensure that they're as, you know, less risk adverse as possible?
1: Yeah. So uh, that's a really good point. And, and quite often uh, I'll have people, yeah, some will come to me and they say they're really risk adverse, they don't want anything risky. Uh, and then there's other people say that uh, we're happy to take some risk because we want to try to get, uh, you know, they say, oh yeah, no risk, no reward. So if we take a lot of risk, we'll get higher reward. It doesn't always work that way either. Uh, you know, there's a few a few things that have, uh, you know, I've done myself in the past in my portfolio that hasn't worked uh, so well. Uh, I mentioned in the, uh, the last episode about a property I bought in a uh, Central Queensland mining town of Blackwater. Uh, one of the things to mitigate risk when you're you're buying a property is the location of that property, and we'll talk more about locations later on. You know, if you're buying a buying a property that is in a an area that has several industries of economic growth, that mitigates against the risk of any real price falls. If you've got a migration there, you've got population increase, uh, you've got jobs growth, then those sort of things are going to be, uh, you know, have, the is going to have good fundamentals. So obviously you get them in capital cities, uh, you know, like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, for example. But, you know, if you've got a bit of a cheaper budget, you want to go to somewhere regional, you can still get into good regional centres that have those sort of, uh, you know, those sort of growth drivers. And as well as that, uh, buying close to amenities, uh, you know, such as cafes and shops and then close to transport uh, and, and all those sort of things things, that that's kind of mitigates the risk. So that, those two fundamentals of a property are really important there. So that's one example. Another way of mitigating risk uh, for someone who's a little bit more savvier, wanting to do, say, a development, uh, we're going to do a duplex, for example, crunching the numbers, making sure that yeah, it actually works for you. Uh, you know, if you're going to build a duplex and, you know, you're going to sell the properties individually or you're going to take equity out of them, you need to make sure that it's worth more on completion, then what you paid for it. And again, we'll discuss that in more detail later. It's really important to make sure that you're actually building for less than what you can what you can sell it for. Uh, so, and that mitigates your risk. And you look at the comparable sales in the area for that, because you don't want to be spending $600,000 building a duplex and f- find that each unit is only going to sell for 250,000. So that's 500,000 and you your minus is 100,000 in, in equity, needs to work the other way. Yep. So, <laughs> so and, and just doing, just crunching those numbers and having, having some actual data there to show that yes, in this area, we can actually make profit I'll this property so those sort of things are really important as well
0: and is there a golden rule lloyd with looking at more down the avenue of investment in the development space be it you know a sort of owner builder or developing um you know townhomes or granny flats is there is there a golden sort of ratio that you look for for yourself or your clientele base in terms of you know a, a net profit margin uh, in terms of profit margin on a um, on a
1: duplex, uh, generally looking at between 15 to 18%. Now, quite often you can get up to you know, 25% returns, uh, but you're looking at sort of 15% to 80% returns, uh, which is sort of a re- fairly realistic given the fact that you, you're wanting to go uh, with what I call my trifecta there. It's not really my trifecta, but I'll refer to it as my trifecta for now. Uh, we've got uh, your instant equity, you've got your cash flow, and you've got your capital growth as well I see one or three things sometimes you can go into an area where there's massive massive asset equity a really good uh, cash flow so really good rent but it might be an area where the long-term growth isn't as good. So it's not really achieving all, it may not be that good for your portfolio. So it may not be, uh, and that's where strategy is really important, getting a 25% return in an area where you're not going to get much growth after that won't necessarily be as good as if you just get a 15% immediate return on a duplex build and then you actually got that good capital growth to back it up because essentially you're building a portfolio towards financial freedom. So you want to be able to keep that and make sure that you're actually getting growth in the years to come as well excellent
0: so let's take a let's take a deep dive straight into strategy from the ground up um we've we've sort of identified you know some of the the markers to look for um you know we've touched on mitigating risk if if i were seeing you today for the first time as a prospective client um, or just somebody a friend or family member seeking your advice what does that sort of conversation look like yeah, so the,
1: the first conversation is really, um, yeah, you know, Alex, where would you like to be in, in ten years, fifteen years time? Yeah, you know, what are your goals? And we talk about uh, you know, those things that I, I mentioned earlier about what financial independence really means to you. Uh, you know, some people may not have a family, but they may have a family later on. Other people do have a family to consider now and all those kind of things. So that's that's really important. Uh, so we ascertain that. Uh, the next thing to ascertain is your borrowing power. So you really need to speak to a, a bank or a mortgage broker. I um, advocate a reputable mortgage brokers because you know, a good mortgage broker will have access to a, a number of different lenders, should be able to find, uh, you A good scenario that suits your circumstances. The you can't really do anything without knowing the numbers. So you know you might have dreams to go and you know build up a multi-million dollar property portfolio and and buy a couple of properties straight away, you know worth over a million dollars. But if you um, don't have the numbers, if you're uh, you know if the bank says you can only borrow 500k, then it's not going to work. So getting those numbers right um, to start with is really important. It doesn't matter really what your numbers are. We can always work with that. You know the first property I bought. Uh, spend about two hundred sixty thousand on, uh, and built up from there. So you don't need to be spending a million or more on a property to start with. Uh, you know, if you've got better borrowing capacity, higher incomes, and and less debt and everything, the broker says you can borrow a million and a half or something like that. I wouldn't suggest you go and spend all that on one property. That's where we'd set the strategy and say you could actually build, yeah, you know, three properties or buy three properties for this. You might build a duplex, you might buy a, another blue chip property, you might do something else. And And start the strategy like that. Uh, so but yeah you know, the first thing to really look at um, are those numbers and to see where your numbers sit., uh, so the broker would do that, uh, you need to supply your details to the broker, which is basically your incomes uh and then bank statements and and things like that and also any other debts you got any loans you got any credit card debts uh, i always recommend people try to minimize their credit card debts because that can come against you with serviceability and everything i never even had a credit card till I was about 35 and then i only bought one because i i felt that it was necessary uh when i was booking you know things like flights and hotels online the problem with that is uh you know you can have a credit card that's got a limit on it for say 10000 and you may not even use it, but the bank will still assess you for the full amount.
0: Because they look at it as a liability. You could go out tomorrow and spend all that money.
1: Absolutely. And they assess a minimum of a 3% repayment so uh, per month. So they will think um, you're, you're still paying $300 a month on that $10,000 credit card, uh, even if you're not, which means that comes off your serviceability. Uh, so those little things. And the broker will go into those sort of details with you. Uh, but, you know... Keeping those things in mind and, and getting getting rid of those issues will actually help improve your serviceability there. So that yeah, so that's that's the next step, finance. Once we've got finance in place, then we start looking at what we can do in terms of of actual property deals, and uh, and that also then takes into account what properties you might already have. Yeah, uh, you know, some people. Um, might be starting from scratch and not have any properties. Uh, other people might have a few properties. Um, you know, I've got one client, for example, who's got 35 properties um, and he probably came to me when he had about 32 properties and he wanted me to keep helping him build his portfolio. So we had to fit in you know, a detailed strategy about where he is at, or where he was at the time and build from there. Uh, other people might have you know, one or two properties and and then we need to build those current properties into that goal, um, sometimes a few tricky things. I mean, sometimes I've got clients who might have six or eight properties, uh, but they're, uh, you know, they're pretty maxed out. So some of the advice might be, to, you need to sell a couple of properties to be able to move forward. So there's quite a few details things in with the strategy. You're maxed out and you've got negative cash flow, then you really need to uh, fix that up before you can move forward with the strategy with anything else. And that's something that um, that I assist with as well. Uh, so that's all, that's all part of that strategy. Once we've got that happening. Then we look at what sort of property would be the best one to buy, and that's where we can talk about manufacturing equity. Depending on your budget, you know, we could be buying a, a house in, you know, in a suburb of, of one of the capital cities, and we look at you know what the rental yield on it is, uh, wh- what the growth prospects are, and whether we can add some value to it, uh, you know, through either cosmetic renovation or perhaps it's got the potential to subdivide uh, if it's a larger block and maybe develop later on because that'll be a great strategy for you um, as well, or uh, we might look straight away. Okay, I think the first strategy would be to uh, to develop a duplex because you 'll get that immediate equity and then use that equity to fund um, another purchase, which is not necessarily another duplex, but then it might be you know a blue chip property. Um, I remember even the very first duplex I did. I then use the equity in that to fund a property in Brisbane and a property in Newcastle just out of that equity. So, And I think, I, I think a third one as well, also in Brisbane. So, so you can do a lot of stuff with that equity. So having that strategy in place and understanding uh, what you can do. So if you're going to create equity, then you think, okay, what, what can we do with the next property and so on? And getting an understanding of how each property works, how it fits into your portfolio and how we can um, move forward towards your goals from there.
0: What really resonated with me and and probably, um, hopefully, everybody listening right now um, also picks up on it, it's knowing your numbers. If if we sort of assess uh, people that have succeeded in business and and property, and I suppose, you know, any investment vehicle, uh, it's really important and essential that they are very grounded and have a solid understanding about what the numbers are. Um, And, you know, I'll give an example I was having coffee with a a client the other week and you know they're looking to invest some money into a certain area and and as we dug a bit deeper they weren't actually sure what the yield was for this particular suburb and you probably find that all the time so it's really important that before somebody does um, invest into a certain area that they really understand the ins and outs of the area um, what the yields are what the average sale prices are what the average days on market is uh, because all of that is, I suppose, mitigating your risk factor, isn't it?
1: Well, absolutely, yeah. Uh, some really good points there, Alex. Just picking up one of those things in terms of the yield, because a lot of people don't understand that, but it's also then getting an understanding of what gross yield is and then what net yield is. And, of course, working out net yield is getting then an understanding of uh, you know all the council rate notices and uh, if you're buying in a, a strata building what the body corporate costs are uh, because they, they'll all come down to uh, you know, to sort of decrease your yield to become net yield. Um, the other thing that people don't think about too, which also has to come into strategy, is how much deposit they put into a property. So the true yield is really worked out on putting in 100% on a property. But the banks that lend you 100% on a property, banks generally lend you 80%, maybe 90% if you're lucky. The other uh, 10 or 20% uh, you've got to come up with, but that might be uh, either through cash savings you've got or you might have taken equity from another property so you've got to sort of consider that and whether you're weighing that into the yield and uh just to give you an example I was meeting with a client um, yesterday and uh, you know he, he's wanting to increase his rental yield um, on a property he's buying in Sydney uh, the uh, increasing his rental yield in terms of cash flow, by how much money he's got coming in each month by actually putting more put deposit down on the property. So he's buying a property where he's actually looking at putting about 50% deposit down. So he's going to have a much lower loan. But what that means is he's actually making that property cash flow positive um, in, in real terms against the loan. So th- that's the strategy to uh, to consider. Uh, not not that everybody's got 50% deposit to put down, but that's something to sort of consider there uh, about what sort of loan amount you're comfortable with. Uh, you know, quite often, you know, you. Yeah, you know, people put down a 20% deposit, uh, but you can put down a 10% deposit. But then you've got to pay lender's mortgage insurance, and people need to understand that lender's mortgage insurance doesn't cover them; it just covers the lender, and it's a cost to them. The other thing to also realize is, is capitalized. So when you sell the property, uh, that's taken into account. So there's there's a lot of things there to weigh in, and that comes in um, on strategy. Just like uh, when you're building a portfolio, and, you're, and you and know, yeah, we're talking about you know any potential exit plan, we need to look at the uh, potential ramifications with things like, you know, capital gains tax and and GST and things. So people need to get proper advice uh, from their accountant and things like that. And we'll discuss all that in another series as well.
0: So in terms of, I think we've, we've we've identified that you know the importance of having a good strategy, and and obviously that strategy is going to differ for the individual and what their personal goals are, and um you know where they sort of hope to be in the next two, five, ten years. Uh, you know, we've addressed that it's really important that um, people are realistic about what they can achieve. Um, with that said, I do think also, and this is this is something that I've taken away from our time together, um, that a lot of people also at the same time, while some are very unrealistic, the the other side of the coin is that people they actually underestimate what they can achieve in a relatively short period of time.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and people also need to sort of realise that uh, sometimes people think they just want to you know, take out the minimum loan and buy the cheapest property uh, because they want to mitigate the risk. That's not mitigating the risk at all. And you know you might buy a better property, better location, pay more. And, and if it's got a better rental yield, then that's actually going to have uh, be a better property uh, for you as well. Uh, and there's also those options where sometimes uh, we might suggest that if you've got enough deposit, then rather than paying uh, you know, say 20% on one property, you might actually buy two properties with your, uh, you know, paying 10%, you know, deposit each and, and things like that. So, uh, so that, you know, if people are pretty savvy and they want to get ahead quicker, then, you know, that's part of working out that, uh, you know, that strategy and thinking, well, you don't need to just buy one property and wait for five years, you can actually do this, this and this. And we talk through that. And of course, it's up to people what they individually want to do, but it's good to, yeah, leave people's options options open. Um, I mean, part of the strategy, of course, is the the different phases. So you're going to have the acquisition phase where you're actually going through and building those those uh, properties into your portfolio, uh, and then you need to hold them. Uh, for a while, and then you have got that exit strategy, which is essentially where you're going to, uh, you know, at the time that you actually want to achieve that financial independence, you want to sort of sell half your properties and uh, you know pay down all your debt, and then you just have all this um, positive cash flow coming into your bank. So, so we always talk about that. You know, the exit strategy is part of that portfolio, and and that all comes in uh, depending on your. You know, your risk appetite and what age you're at. Uh, you know if you're 28 yeah you know, no interest in retiring at the moment then it might seem like a long way away to be thinking of an exit strategy 20 years away but uh, you know it's good to be thinking about that and we can we can work with that. Um, if you're investing later in life then you know the exit strategy is going to be a little bit sooner. When you're uh, 55 years of age and older, the banks actually ask you for a letter of what your exit strategy is because you don't really have 30 years to pay back a loan essentially banks don't see that you've got 30 years payback loan so they actually want to know your exit strategy and how you're going to dispose of that property or pay off that loan within a reasonable time frame so well, well, they should give
0: you the money <laughs> absolutely yeah so Lloyd we've um, given given our listeners a pretty good rundown on you know knowing your why and uh, the reasons we buy property and the strategies behind um, successfully building a portfolio or starting a portfolio Uh Let's cover off on um, probably two, you know, uh, profiles which will sort of reflect the majority of listeners. And the first one would be, you know, your, your mum and dad in investors. So they've uh, they own a primary residence. They're possibly renting where they currently live. Um, they've got you know some money in the bank, albeit not a lot, and they're looking to get started. Uh, what does that um, what would the meeting with them look like and what would you really want to identify? I suppose just beyond looking at strategy at face value, what how, how would you sort of handle that and what advice would you give those listeners today?
1: Uh, yeah, so one thing that I think uh, given that strategy and they're probably, you know, like renting where they live, uh, I would not be uh, recommending they necessarily go and buy a home straight away. Uh, the problem with buying their own home is that decreases their serviceability right away so uh, again it would be about you know what they're looking to achieve uh, and then you know if they've got one one investment property what we'd be looking at doing is is how, how we can leverage off that generally you know, if they've got one investment property they might have a bit of equity in that uh, and a bit of cash savings so I'd be getting them to have a chat to their broker you know I work with a number of good brokers too if anybody needs a recommendation there and they just need to you know, put their cash savings with any equity they've got in their property and then do their numbers. It all comes back to their numbers. So their, their total borrowing capacity, take into account their current property and then all their other living um, expenses, given the fact they're paying rent, not a mortgage. So that's actually going to put them in a better condition. Look at the equity uh, position they currently got, then trying to move forward to uh, to the next property. Uh, but I'd be uh, you know, looking at their goals and then wanting to try to fast track that uh, a little bit quicker. So I'd be looking at ways to manufacture Ah, uh, some equity there, uh, in and as we discussed, there's a f- few ways we can do that. Uh, and when I when I talk about you know building a duplex or mat- or renovating a property, it's not that you have to go there and do it yourself. You know, it's about getting reputable builders and tradespeople in there to do that. Uh, but that's yeah, that that would be what I'd be looking at there. Uh, yeah, again, looking at their long-term goals, but their their second property um, needs to complement the one that they currently got. Uh, and then uh, and then the second property that we're gonna add some value to, look at how we can leverage off that to get into the next property. One of their goals might be to uh have their their dream home one day, uh, but we don't need to buy that straight away. We can work up towards that generally if you've got your own home that you're living in that's then as a liability uh you know you can't c- claim any tax deductions on it you can't claim the interest on it if you're uh just paying rent and then you've actually got your investment loans you know, for other properties, then that actually improves your serviceability. So if your uh, serviceability being uh, whether you can you know, pay back a loan or your ability to pay back the loan. So if you're living in your primary residence and then you go for an investment loan, uh, you're probably going to have lower serviceability than if you're actually renting and then going for uh, investment loans. So one thing that I recommend a lot of people do these days is rent invest. So, uh, rent vesting is something uh, which is essentially just that: rent where you want to. So uh, that might be, you know, where you want to live. So it might be close to work, might be in the lifestyle location that you like, but not necessarily where you would buy. Uh, it might be out of uh, budget for where you would buy. So that's one reason people rent rent vest because they can buy in other locations that are a bit cheaper. But the other thing is. You don't really buy an investment property in the location where you live or work at unless that's the best location in the property, in, in the country to buy property. Uh, and there's yes, probably plenty of other good locations to look at. So we'll look at the best places to invest in property and you just keep renting where you want to live and then you've got freedom of lifestyle there.
0: It's really good to know because I think, you know, there is a lot of stigma attached to renting. Um, in my experience, I find some people, you know, you'll as you mentioned earlier, you'll be at a family barbecue or a function and there'll always be somebody saying, you know, I won't rent a property, that's dead money, this and the other. But I think having that awareness that it definitely does have its place um, is very important.
1: Yeah, it kind of drives me crazy when people say it's dead money. I mean, I feel that's a bit of a, 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 like a 90s-ism. You know, people used to talk about that 20 or 30 years ago and they're sort of of saying it's not really dead money because once you've got an investment property, you've got people paying rent there uh, and that's going towards your mortgage and everything like that. Uh, As a landlord... Uh, you can't really be thinking that, you know, it's bad to be renting. And then, you know, if you have a portfolio of 10 properties and you've got 10 lots of tenants in there, you can't then have the attitude that renting's bad because you've got all these tenants. You, you're actually responsible to have a, a property that's got good upkeep and, uh, you know, suitable for them to live in. And you're providing homes for people. You know, renting seems to be, you know, lower socioeconomic or in, uh, in, in properties that aren't that good. But, you know, you can rent beautiful properties. You can rent multi-million dollar properties if you want that you couldn't afford to buy but, or yeah, you know, in general terms, people couldn't afford to buy, but you could you could rent them, uh, and have a lovely lifestyle. So there's certainly no, no nothing wrong with renting your property. I, th- I think ultimately, you know, most people would like to own a property to live in because it provides stability for their family. Uh, but you don't necessarily need to, uh, you know, try to force yourself to buy your own home now when it's going to, you know, put you at risk of not being able to build up your portfolio. Because uh, if you're if you're sort of a younger person, you know around thirty or so, uh, and then you want you wanted to get into your own home, I would be thinking, you know, rent for now, build up a portfolio, buy that dream home when you're thirty six or forty, and then uh, you'll be in a and better position.
0: Uh, in terms of a a real life case study or or an experience you've had um, with somebody, sort of that we've just profiled in the, in that very position, and and they possibly do own their primary residence or, or are renting. Um, do you have an example, Lloyd, of, a, of sort of how you've assisted somebody in um, sort of going on that journey in terms of um, starting that portfolio off? And what were some of the challenges that they faced and you faced? Um?
1: Yeah, I do. And a couple I'm thinking of there, uh, there's actually a, a doctor and his, his wife who was um, working in um, pharmaceuticals, a couple of primary school children. They were actually living in their primary residence at the time. Uh, they had a little bit of cash savings and then they had equity in their home. But what they actually did, and we sat down and had a good round table discussion regarding strategy and we had the broker there, they ended up moving out of their primary residence and renting another property. And then, so the primary residence became a rental property. And we also took equity out of that property to go and buy for another property. So they had equity there plus the cash savings and the broker did some figures. Uh, what we did with that particular family is we got them into a, a duplex deal uh, because one of their goals was to try to fast track uh, some equity creation because they wanted to actually be able to afford, uh, although, although they were fairly good incomes, uh, they didn't feel they were really getting ahead and they had quite a lot of living expenses and a little bit of debt. Uh, they had a couple of car loans there and they, uh, a bit of other, I think, high credit cards, which they uh, ended up sort of having to pay off. Uh, but the strategy there was to actually build a duplex uh, where they actually created about $220,000 in equity. So it was actually a really good result there. From that, they actually could take some money out of that property from the equity and then got themselves into another uh, another property as well straight away using that equity. So it sort of fast-tracked their um, portfolio there.
0: And what sort of period of time did, did that sort of transpire over?
1: Yeah, so yeah they were pretty responsive to uh, i guess the first meeting I had with them where I was sort of suggesting you might be in a better position if you if you think about you know renting out this this PPR uh, they, you know they weren 't so receptive to that at the start, but once the broker did some numbers uh, and and gave them a couple of a couple of scenarios, then uh, it was quite obvious that they 'd be in a better position if they would actually rent out that. Uh, principal place of residence put tenants in there so that probably took uh about a month or two to sort that out in the numbers uh once we got them into uh the duplex deal uh that was sort of a turnaround in 12 months so they essentially made over two hundred thousand in um 12 months which is uh you know sort of pretty similar to what their, their actual family income was because the guys are relatively sort of junior doctors. So not, not on, sometimes people think doctors earn, you know, huge amounts of money. Uh, but, you know, junior doctors don't earn, you know, they work really hard and they don't earn massive amounts. So they didn't have that bigger income. So the amount of money they made from the duplex in one duplex deal was pretty much the same as what the couples were earning as a combined income. So that put them in a good position. That was after 12 months. Uh, then they had the serviceability to go into a, another property, uh, you know, the following year. So, and essentially, uh, and that was in a, in a different uh, city, actually a different state. And there's a strategy around that because of land tax and things like that as well. Essentially, you know, a couple of years down the track and they, they were in a much better position. Uh, and they only used the equity in that, that duplex for one more property. And then that actually, uh, a lot of the equity left over from that, they were actually able to use on kids' school fees and, and to pay off some car loans and stuff as well. So it actually really helped them out.
0: When you first met with them, what were... Uh, what what were some of the fears that you found that they had or, or possible roadblocks or hurdles that you had to help them overcome?
1: I think the main thing, uh, and it's the main thing with a lot of people, is is actually the fear of debt uh, and all, always understanding the difference between good debt and bad debt. They had three car loans at the time, which is quite funny because there's only two, two people in the house that could drive. They had three cars, <laughs> all had car loans on them. They don't mind having, yeah. You know, people don't mind having car loans, but people are scared about having, you know, property debt. But property debt's always good debt because I always think if you've got loans on something that appreciates, then that's going to be good debt.
0: Well, one always depreciates, and in most 99.9% of cases, and the other one generally always appreciates. Well, that's
1: right. So you need to buy a, uh, either a house in a good location. Or a violin or something because <laughs> that appreciates but uh but yeah, not not car loans, so uh you know, so they they had to get their their head around that, and that took a little bit of a little bit of convincing as well uh, but you know that uh they were quite receptive to that in the end, and uh, once they saw the results then they they really became really receptive to that and really happy, uh, and we're actually in a position of now talking to them again about the the next property this is a couple now a couple of years down the track, but they're now looking at uh doing the next thing as well
0: excellent. And I suppose looking at the, the stark contrast of, of that couple there, um, who sort of probably are in a similar position to a lot of people listening today that are sort of early into their investment portfolio journey, um, although they've already, you know, they own an asset or they're, they're you know, income producing and um, either have families or don't. Tell me about some clients you've worked with. I know you mentioned one earlier. Where they've already got a very strong portfolio, and then they're seeking your advice on how to add and build to that. What does that sort of conversation look like, and how do you find the strategy differs to, you know, a mum and dad family trying to buy their first or second property?
1: Yeah, so the strategy is very, uh, very difficult—not difficult, very different with someone with a complex portfolio. Uh, they, you know, we look at their spreadsheet with all their properties, uh, look at all their their uh, the debt against their equity. To see the situation they're in. So we sort of look at the equity against, against the loan and the cash flow on the property to, to assess the their, uh, their current situation. Uh, the other thing also is uh, assessing where they are in terms of their current locations, because we wanted to uh, look at trying to avoid or minimise land tax as much as possible. And each state has uh, sort of land tax thresholds. Uh, and then also looking at diff- the different trusts um, to buy in, because sometimes they're buying in like a and a company trust or a, a discretionary trust, or maybe in personal names, uh, and there's a bit of a mixture there, and they all have different tax implications, and and that's where an accountant comes in quite handy to that conversation as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all it's still about this, what they're trying to achieve, and and a lot of the time, there's people that have six or seven properties that are actually in a fair bit of debt, and then we need to untangle a few things. To move forward, but once people sort of get past that, uh, you know, ten or twelve properties, they're usually in a pretty good position and they've got things under control. So it's just a matter of really uh, looking at what they're trying to achieve, and quite often they're now looking for more sophisticated strategies. So we might be building a triplex, a quadplex, um, building duplexes, doing some land banking, um, subdividing some blocks and selling them off, or getting DAs on them and selling them off. There's some complicated things. Uh, there so it's completely different sort of strategies but it's all about what their goals are so it all comes back to knowing your why and you know ask them okay so you, you have 30 properties these people are yeah you know, business owners they're quite busy and they just want someone to help keep building their portfolio.
0: And in your experience Lloyd do you find that the rewards become more tangible once you get to that 20 and 30 property mark or I mean not everybody that's going to be listening to this is going to necessarily want to build an empire but they I think financial freedom is what we've identified that um, you're really here to help people achieve. And, you know, we know that, that that's different to everybody. But for those who are quite keen to build a portfolio similar to yours, do you find that once you get to that threshold where you sort of possibly break the glass ceiling at eight to 10 properties, um, do the rewards become bigger? Or is it for you, is it very much just rinse and repeat and sticking to a, a solid strategy where you, you're sort of, I suppose, over time? you know, identifying good buying locations with the same principles as when you started out? Yeah,
1: look, the principles are the same there. For me, the the biggest rewards are really for people who are just starting out and, yeah, might buy their first property and they get a really good return on it. And whatever that return looks like depends on their strategy. Uh, Not everyone does a duplex. I'm using them as a couple of examples. They might renovate, they might just hold and they might buy in the right part of the cycle and a couple of years later, they've made some good growth. I mean, I've got examples of people who've just made, you know, 100 Two hundred grand profit on a property simply because they bought at the right time in the cycle, but just seeing the results of something because it comes down to your everyday mum and dad seeing them how happy they are, how enthusiastic they are after having a good result on a property. Uh, that's that that really sort of in, inspires me, and and then wanting to repeat the process. I think once people have got a lot of properties under their belt, then it's more like a bit of a, a rinse and repeat. It's not really about the numbers, so it's not about trying to build twenty or thirty properties, and having an empire. It's really about. Having, you know, achieving your dreams, and you might have six properties, and and they're functioning really well for you. You've got good equity, and that's helping you to achieve what you want to achieve. So it's it's really about getting the right properties that that, that achieve that for you.
0: What do you recommend for people listening today that are embarking on this journey? And I think what happens is once you start to, that you know, people get a taste for that success. They've had the first uh, successful investment, or they've possibly got up to their third property and they're starting to see that, you know, the banks are wanting to give them more money and they're becoming, you know, more bank worthy, more credit worthy. How do you sort of, I suppose, guide your clients through that process or what advice would you give listeners today so that once they start to see that they've got, you know, possibly tens of thousands in equity that they can draw down, that they're not necessarily going down to, you know, the Mercedes dealership and wanting to buy a new S-class because all of a sudden they've, they've got this their money working for them finally.
1: Yeah, we just need to. Uh, they need to have someone keeping them accountable. So you know, talking to a, a mentor every couple of weeks, writing the goals down, and sharing it with people. So with me, you know, people tell me what their goals are, and you know, we have that in our database and everything. And uh, you know, I want to remind people of that. Sometimes people get confused about strategies. You know, they might have this this goal, and then they might buy one property, and then decide they're going to change strategies and do something else this is like but hang on that's not what we spoke about uh, so it's about keeping people accountable and remember this is what you're trying to achieve changing here is not going to help so it's it's really about just you know sort of just reminding people about what that end goal is and and you know doing it one step at a time but they, they need someone to help, help keep them accountable whether it's uh you know someone like myself helping them out or you know whether it's a, a work colleague or a family member someone needs to be just consistently reminding them of why they're doing it. And and I guess you as yourself need to take some accountability about, you know, this is why I'm doing it and I've got to stick to this strategy.
0: I suppose to recap, Lloyd, today was really about understanding what your why is. And, you know, we've, we agree that everybody's why is going to be different. Um, but, you know, we've really laid down the foundations on the importance of a strategy that works for the individual. Um, that strategy will obviously differ from person to person and... Um, when we sort of then really dig deeper into strategy, we've also identified that um, you know, strategy is, is looking at a whole uh, bunch of factors from growth to cash flow to location, which we'll touch on in a future episode, land banking, development, and, and everything essentially depends on the individual. How would you sum up everything we've covered off on today? What, what do you think the most important takeaways for the person listening to this today?
1: You really just need to have a goal in place. Uh, and work towards that for me it's there's definitely more to life than just going to work every day and just yeah, you know, just doing that you need to think where you want to be in the future and setting yourself up uh, and i think that's really important and that's why i encourage people to get into investing uh, because otherwise, um, I know for me, I didn't want to be uh, one of those people that was, you know, 65, 70 years old, still working in a job I didn't like and then thinking, oh, 30 years ago, I could have retired and done something else, but I, uh, I was too scared to to take the risk and whatever. Uh, so, you know, I encourage people to really give it a go and, and just try to set themselves up.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people do uh, in life hold off making big decisions for fear of making the wrong one. Um, what what I feel I've taken away from our time together is that sometimes you are, or quite often, not even sometimes, you are better off to make that leap of faith. You're not always going to necessarily predict the market perfectly, but standing still and doing nothing is you know, a, a much inferior strategy than uh, beginning a portfolio and obviously having some winners and some that don't quite perform as well.
1: Absolutely. And you know, you're not going to win them all. We, we all make mistakes and you just got to learn from that. But doing nothing is definitely not the right strategy. Yeah. So I really do think you need to get ahead and do something.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lloyd. I think, you know, for everybody listening, having a strategy, having mighty clarity around what you're doing and, and why you're doing it is is really the foundation for everything, um, which we're going to start to cover off on in this series.
1: Great. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Lloyd.
0: There you have it. Today's episode highlighted the importance of knowing your why to help you implement a strategy which will allow you to reach your end goal. Lloyd Edge covers off on this topic in far greater detail in his new book, Positively Geared, available for pre sale now with a 1st of April release date. I strongly recommend you get a copy of Lloyd's new book so that you too can achieve your path to financial freedom.